a couple of weeks ago, a, a friend reached out to me and he said, why won't you do something? It was that moment when the Taliban were closing in on um, uh, Kabul and Afghanistan, and this is horrible just watching the news. And I thought, what can I do about that? And maybe he thought some kind of a declaration, you know, from the front at UPC might make a difference. <laughs> I'm not sure I really have that much influence, but I certainly understand the feeling. Uh, it's a sense of powerlessness uh, that we feel like you've fallen asleep on your arms. You know that feeling? In, in a way, that moment just represented the way we felt, many of us, for months these days. Like, why, why won't somebody do something? And what can I do? These are questions that Habakkuk, the Old Testament prophet, raised in his own day, the seventh century BC. And God speaks to Habakkuk, a word of hope that's not only meant for him, but also meant for a community of faithful believers living in Judah at that time, and I believe for us as well, for our time. Today, today I want to explore that a little further with you, and I want you to see that the Lord gives us a message, a mission, and a motivation. Let's open our Bible to Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to read from the NRSV, but you can read from whatever translation. You will note that here in the passage we're looking at today, there are some variations in translation. It's because of the ways in which, over time, the, these words have been interpreted. We'll talk a little bit about those various ways in a moment. But Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and if you're able, would you please stand with me, whether you're here in the room or at home. If you're driving, stay right where you are and keep your, your eyes on the road. But otherwise, let's read this text. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision Make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it, for there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. Moreover, wealth is treacherous. The arrogant do not endure. They open their throats wide as Sheol, like death, they never have enough. They gather all nations for themselves and collect all peoples as their own. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Well, you just read what, what is really one of the most central axioms, not just of Habakkuk, not just the Old Testament, but of the whole Bible. The righteous live by their faith. The Talmud says Moses gave Israel 613 commandments, David reduced them to 10, Isaiah to 2, but Habakkuk to 1. The righteous shall live by his faith. It's the Talmud. 
So no matter what happens, the Lord says to Habakkuk, you always can do this. Live by faith. Live by faith. Live by faith. Live by faith. And so what does that mean? Well, uh, let's think about first the message of faith. To say that the righteous live by faith is to say that we meet God not by doing a deed, but by believing a message. This is the message of faith. And this is the meaning of the watch post that we see in verse 1. Remember, Habakkuk, as we said last week, has a challenge for the Lord. He's got questions, a complaint, a protest. And now he's waiting for the Lord to respond. And as he does, he, he, he climbs up into a watch post. This, this watch post it tells us that to meet God, you do so not by doing a deed, but by hearing a message. The watch post is a kind of a platform or tower that would be built on the top of a wall or a rampart protecting a city or a village in the ancient Near East. And the sentinel would climb up into this post and scan the horizon, Uh, most especially at a time of war when the king and his armies have gone out from that city to distant lands because there are invaders coming. This for them was their existential crisis, right? If you're in a village or a town and the armies are gone and (laughs) and they're fighting a conquering nation, they're wondering, will we survive? Uh, You know, will the armies win and will the enemy come and will they pillage and destroy and will be taken as slaves? They don't know. And so it's the sentry's responsibility to scan the horizon and to wait and to watch and to listen. And in time, what happens? Well, you know, they don't get CNN. They, they get a, another form of, of media, uh, an, an ancient form of media called the herald. And, you know, and a herald is somebody who's dispatched from the battlefield, who runs uh, uh, by foot or comes by horseback as fast as they can to proclaim. Now, if it's a victory, the word that's used in the ancient world for the declaration of a victory, the herald's declaration, is gospel. Uh, That word exists outside the Bible before it was ever part of the Bible. Good news. There are lots of examples of this in the Bible. If you want to read later, you can look at 2 Samuel 18.24 or 2 Kings 9.17. But probably the most famous example of this is the Battle of Marathon in uh, 490 BC. You remember the Persians. This is after the Persians. The Persians were the ones that actually overcame the Babylonians who overcame the Israelites. So the, the, the Persians, though, against the Greeks, and they vastly outnumbered the Greek armies in Marathon. And so everyone thought Greece is going to fall before these marauding Persians. But they don't. Through brilliant strategy, probably a little bit of luck, the Greeks win at the Battle of Marathon, and they dispatch a runner who runs from Marathon back to Athens with this news. And supposedly, as legend has it, he gets to Athens and he says, we've won! and then expires uh, out of exhaustion, just dies right there. Okay, this is the basis for our modern marathon. It's about 26 miles from, from the city of Marathon to the city of Athens. We've won. It's the herald. That's the message, you see. 
that the sentinel's listening for on the watch post. And so if faith is a watch post activity, what does this mean? Well, it means that the faith by which we are to live is faith in a message. It's a, it's a matter of waiting and hearing and listening for good news that we would believe the message. That's faith. This word good news was a word that the Romans used when they talk about Caesar Augustus who unified the empire, ended war, brought the Pax Romana, peace. They, they said good news uh, at the birth of uh, Augustus uh, for all people. This is the message that the followers of Jesus used, the, the, the word that they used to describe what he had done. This is the message of the whole Bible. And in, in, in its ancient context, what it means is I, there's been a history-making event with life-giving implications for all people. That's good news. A history-making event with life-giving implications for all people. This is our message. This is what we're here to believe. The Apostle Paul quotes Habakkuk in Romans 1.17, as I mentioned earlier in the video, the one who is righteous will live by faith. That's, that's 117. Notice the context in verse 16 just before. He says this message or the gospel or the good news is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. Oh my gosh. What he's saying is salvation is not a deed that's done. It's a message that's heard. Just hearing the message and responding with faith is the power of God to bring salvation into our lives. The point is that we don't meet God on the battlefield. Our salvation is not the product of our own fighting. We meet God in the watch post. Our salvation is the product of hearing the great King Jesus who has won a victory over death and sin and evil and believing that it is for us a word of salvation. That's faith. It's, it's a response. Some might think of this as a, a pa passive faith, responding. It, it's, uh, salvation doesn't come as good advice as many people think. Do this, do that. Try harder. Get, get a better coach. <laughs> no, salvation comes as good news, not good advice. It's not something that we do. It's something that God has done and we believe. There's been a history-making event with life-giving implications for me and for all people. So the question then that the watch post raises for us is, are you listening? Are we listening for this message? It's so interesting, it's kind of endearing to look at verse one in the Hebrew as I translated this passage in preparation. I noticed that he uses what uh, grammar, grammarians call the cohortative voice, which means he's speaking to himself. It's like an imperative, but you say it to yourself. So really the way to translate this is to say, uh, where he says, let me, in verse one, let me stand, let me station myself, let me keep, keep watch. It's so interesting to hear the prophet speak to himself to try to position himself in a place where he can hear the message. Because life is noisy. Because the city is noisy. 
And sometimes you have to rise above the hustle and bustle of your own work and the people around you and all of their agendas and messages and even the voices inside of you that say you're never enough, you've got to work harder, do more, better, all the good advice that's there in the city. Sometimes we just have to rise above. We have to get ourselves into the watchtower. We have to say, let me take my stand in a place where I can hear the word of the Lord, where I can hear the good news of the gospel, where I can hear the message of the Bible speaking to me. This is why we're doing Immerse, by the way. We, we want to be a people that we hear. We constantly, we get the whole message and we hear it and we internalize it and we live it. We can't do anything as a church that will help our city or bless our neighbors without being in the watch, a people in the watch post. So this is something that we can do, isn't it? This is the passive work of faith, to hear and believe. That is doing something. The righteous live by their faith. There's a message to be believed. Secondly, let's move on to the mission of faith. To say the righteous live by faith is also to say that we make a difference by making good news visible in our lives. You make a difference by making good news visible in your life. This is the meaning of the sign. In verse 2, notice the Lord says to Habakkuk, and he's beginning to answer his complaint, write the vision. Uh, make a sign, a sign. Uh, take presumably some wooden planks, the word suggests, uh, and write on the planks with big letters uh, so that a runner uh, can, can read it, perhaps that, so that the eye can run over these letters, but maybe kind of in an echo of this idea of a herald staying within the metaphor, let a runner, somebody running back from, Bible, from the battle would be able to see this. Someone riding through the city would be able to see this. In other words, make the letters large on this sign. There ought to be legibility to it. Like, we would call this a billboard. We're very familiar with signs like this. <clears throat> you could drive by them and get the message, right? By the way, interesting thing to notice here, literacy. Do you see the, the assumption of literacy in the ancient Near East in the 7th century BC? How often have you been told, oh, Bible people, they, you know, they didn't write, they didn't read. It's all oral culture. They, you know, they garbled the message. They didn't really know. This, is lit, this, is, this is assumption is it's a literate culture. If the common people of the day would see this sign and be able to read it, well, they read and they write. And so make a sign. Now, what's on the sign? Well, I, I think we're not told explicitly here, uh, but implicitly it's the message of the herald. It, it's, it's the good news, but on a sign, when you write it down, what you do is you preserve it for time, over time. Now, we probably get something that's closer to the words that were on the sign in chapter 3, and we're coming to that next week. There's a psalm in chapter 3, which is a, a song of praise for the great victory, a cosmic victory of the, of the Lord over all of creation as he restores it to what it should be. But the, the, point, the, the message on the sign, the point of all that is don't lose hope. Three words. Don't lose hope. For there is still a vision for the appointed time, the text says. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Hear what he's saying? Don't lose hope. There is a victory in our God. Wait for it. If it seems to tarry, 
Don't lose hope. So just imagine the city. You know, remember I told you last week, it's a time of great corruption and injustice in Jerusalem. The king is a bad puppet king. And so he's saying, he's saying, here's my sign to the city. Don't lose hope, city. Don't lose hope. Right? Or just imagine as the armies of Babylon come over these ramparts, invading and destroying. Don't lose hope. Yeah, it looks bad. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, people are dying. Don't lose hope. You've experienced rejection. Don't lose hope. You're going through a divorce. Don't lose hope. You've got a diagnosis. Don't lose hope. This is a sign. So if faith is a sign activity, another question. How legible are our lives? Leslie Newbigin said that the followers of Jesus are meant to be signs and foretaste of the kingdom of God. The world ought to be able to see in us the gospel. They ought to have a foretaste of the coming king and his rule as they see us as a community interacting together. How legible are our lives? You're a sign. I have to say, uh, last week, my heart was just crushed because four of my neighbors have passed away in the last uh, two months. All young neighbors, untimely deaths. And I, and I have to say, three of them have died by suicide. I'm not my immediate neighborhood, the people I see out my window. And it's been just crushing, crushing. We have this neighborhood gathering every two weeks, and we've been reaching out to neighborhoods, cookies, and praying for people. And, and to think that we have lost these neighbors that we feel that we were assigned to, that God gave them to us, and we're called to them to bless them. And we've not got, now we've lost our chance. It's been just been, I, I feel bad, horrible bad, actually. It's been so sad. And I wanted to say one thing in passing. Let me just pause and say, if, you know, the, we are in crisis right now. You can look at your neighbors and they can be smiling and they can have it all together and be driving a fancy car like my neighbors were, many of them. But they were in crisis. And so I want to just take a moment and say, if you're thinking dark thoughts or you're with someone who's thinking dark thoughts, I want you to take a moment to write down this phone number. This is the Suicide Prevention uh, Lifeline, 1-800-273-TALK, T-A-L-K, which is 8255. Don't lose hope. Do something. And we, 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 we have, God has put us here as signs to share something as simple as a phone number with, with people who are in crisis. But this is why we're going next door uh, uh, to share hope with our neighbors. This is why we're uh, doing kindred to do the work of justice so that our city can see and taste God's justice. We're, this is why we're reaching out to students and young adults and immigrants as they come in. We're saying, don't lose hope. Yeah, it's hard. But the point is that this is all doing something. This is, this is you could say, the active work of faith. Habakkuk 2.4 gets quoted uh, in another place in the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews. Uh, 10, 38 quotes it as well. If, if, passive, if Paul's kind of thinking of faith as a passive faith, a faith in, Hebrews takes it more as an act, active faith. And here you're seeing the interpretation of this text over time. More emphasis on faithfulness, being the community that lives out the promises of a faithful God. 
N.T. Wright was interviewed recently and uh, he entertained the question, do you think that this pandemic is one of the plagues of Revelation? Has anyone asked you that? Have you thought that? It's one of the plagues of Revelation. It hadn't occurred to me. But you know what? It's, a good, it's an interesting question. There are plagues in the Exodus and there are plagues in, uh, uh, that are described in Habakkuk chapter 3 because they're a sign of God's um, a coming redemption. But here's what N.T. Wright said. He, he said, you know, <clears throat> when, when the early church faced a crisis, uh, they thought differently than their neighbors. The pagans around them, Greeks and Romans, when there was a crisis, they thought, oh, the gods must be angry. Oh, the gods are trying to communicate with us. Oh, they've got a message for us. And T.R. said, the Christians didn't think that way. When there was a crisis, they thought, Jesus is doing a work. Uh, uh, the works of God are being revealed. And so he's an example of this, Acts chapter 11. There's this famine that's coming and it's going to hit the whole region. The Christians don't say, oh, the gods must be angry. They say, who's vulnerable? How can we help? And they organize a relief effort. So the same way the plagues, there actually are plagues in the second and third century that devastate the Roman Empire and the pagans are going, gods must be angry and they're heading for the hills, including the doctors. They leave because they don't want to get sick. The Christians stay and they nurse these patients. And the people around them can't believe, why are you doing this? And they say, well, it's because we follow this man named Jesus and he gave his life to save my life and yours too. And we want you to know that, that God actually loves you. He's not like the malevolent gods that you formerly believed in. You see what they're being signs. They're being signs of the coming kingdom and the promise of God. Don't lose hope. The righteous live by their faith. There's a mission to be lived. And then thirdly, uh, the motivation of faith. To say that the righteous live by faith also means that you have a good reason to get back up when you fall down and to keep at it. This is the meaning of the sentinel in verse four. As the text continues, we see uh, the Lord saying to Habakkuk, look at the proud. Now the language there literally means look at the swollen one. Uh, the proud, someone who's swollen or inflated or sometimes we might say puffed up. He's talking about, the, the, look inside, look inside. This is what a sentinel does. A sentinel is about awareness, it's awareness. But here the Lord directs not just to the outside, but to the inside, the inside of the Babylonian, to the inside of yourself. The, the sentinel looks inside. And he says, speaking of the Babylonian to some generic Babylonian, their spirit is not right in them. What he's talking about here is the why. He's talking about the motivation and there are two spirits. There's pride or faith. This is the contrast in the text. I'm reminded of the church that gave their pastor a button that said, most humble. It was really nice. And then when he wore it, they took it away from him. Right? So we what? There's this contrast between the pride and faith as two motivations. The, you know, what we have to understand is the Babylonians, we think of them as the enemy. They're, they're not evil people. They're beloved people. They're good people. In fact, they were incredibly uh, uh, competent people and brilliant people and sophisticated people. Their architecture, their technology. You know, they were like kind of Silicon Valley people or Seattleites. We want to change the world with this technology. That's a good thing. This is the Babylonians. The problem is they were also out to make a name for themselves. 
This was their, this was their motivation. We read in verse 7 of chapter 1, their justice and dignity proceed from themselves. Isn't that a telling comment? It, it, it's based on, them, on their selves, their justice and their dignity. And so you go through the rest of chapter 2, and there's more engagement with this whole idea of motivation. We see this is a motivation. When, when our motivation is to fulfill or to express ourselves, it bring, it's treacherous, verse 5 tells us. It's not sustainable. In other words, it does not endure, verse uh, 5 tells us. The contrast, though, the sentinel spirit looks away from the self to God. Ask not, what, what am I capable of? But what has God promised? This is a different spirit and a different motivation. This is what happens when we've experienced salvation, the power of the the gospel. The good news becomes salvation for us. When we look to the cross, we see the life of Jesus, the death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and we realize this has taken away our sins. This has freed us from evil. This has brought eternal life into our lives. We receive this gift of salvation. Who's the agent in all of that? Is it me? No, I'm the recipient. But the agent is God acting on our behalf in Jesus Christ. And that brings profound humility, but it also brings this kind of sustainable hope that comes from a faith not in myself, but in from another who is bigger and greater, more loving and more powerful. This is the contrast between pride and faith. The sentinel spirit was in Abraham who said, I look to God who, in Romans 4, 17, he says, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Wow. Zechariah says, the Lord through him, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. My spirit inside of the sentinel. That's what Habakkuk is invited to see. So if faith is a sentinel activity, Here's the last question for us. What's motivating me? You know, in my incessant exercise or in my compelling social life, if you have one, I don't. <laughs> in, in, in your work life or in your religious experience, what's motivating me? What's my why? Let me give you an example for this, Carrick, uh, because we're having a healing service here today. And there's a man named Naaman who lived... Uh, before Habakkuk's time, and his, his story is told in 2 Kings chapter 5, and he was swollen. He had a swollen self, um, but he moved, God moved him from a swollen self to the spirit of faith, to humility. He was a great man. He was the commander of the armies of Aram, but he was sick. He had a diagnosis, leprosy. And so he hears about Elisha and Israel, and he comes from Aram with his chariots and horses, and he comes ripping up, you know, right in front of Elijah's house, revving his motor, uh, thinking the prophet will come out, you know, and the prophet just goes, sends out a little servant, you know, sends out the servant. And the servant says to Elisha, well, the master in the house says, what you ought to do is go into our river over here, Jordan, and wash yourself seven times. You'll be fine. And Naaman is just miffed. He's actually offended. He's like, what? I'm out of here. This, this guy's a kook. So he takes off. But a, 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 one of his servants says, wait, master, if he had told you to do something great and hard and challenging, if he had waved his arms, if he had dramatically put his hand on your, you would have done it, right? Oh, yeah. I don't need to 
we got muddy rivers back home. I don't need any of this. I want something that makes me feel important, dramatic, sophisticated. I want some power in this. I want something that is in keeping with my stature and who I am. I want to do something hard and earn my healing fair and square. But the servant prevails on him, and he comes back. And he comes to the river's edge, and he hears the word of the Lord through the prophet. Wash seven times, and you'll be healed. And he's going, oh, this is nonsense. Why would I do that? And, of course, the answer is the promise of God. That's why. It's the, it's the good news. That's why. And so he comes to the edge. You can just imagine him taking off his military cloak and laying it on a rock. You can just imagine him pulling off his regalia, blessed by the king. He takes off his helmet, which has been scarred in battle, and sets it gently down. He unstraps his sword that's been sharpened on the shields of countless enemies, unlaces his sandals that have been dusted and worn by the soil of conquest. And he comes into the river now, as bare as he could be, and he washes one time, and he comes up, and there's nothing. It's just done nothing. If it seems to tarry, Habakkuk says. So he dunks under again a second time, and he comes up, nothing. A third time, nothing. But wait for it. Fourth time, a fifth time, don't lose hope. Sixth time, nothing. What keeps him doing this? What keeps him in the water? Faith in the word of God. God has made a promise, and that keeps him in the water. And then a seventh time, and you know the number seven, that it's a number of completeness, of wholeness, and the number of salvation. And all of a sudden, he's healed. Not just his body, but his spirit. He says, now I know there is no God but the God of Israel in all the earth. And so think about you. I know there's something in your life. You've already prayed for healing, and you're st- it hasn't been fixed. And yet it's your faith that will bring you back. You've stumbled so many times to count. You've gone back to the bottle again and again, though you've promised everyone and yourself that you wouldn't, but it seems to tarry. And so you come back to church. You're working through your depression. There are days and weeks when you can hardly even get out of bed, but wait for it, and you keep calling that counselor. There's a lust burning in your body and it's aching loneliness for intimacy and connection with someone, but don't lose hope. You call your circle of accountability partners again. See, you're doing something. This is the humble spirit of faith in response to God's promise, driving you, motivating you to keep on and to endure. Because the victory is real. The victory of Jesus Christ is real. It's both in the past and it is in the future and it is coming to make all things new. And it is that spirit, that humble spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of you who will transform you and transform our world. The righteous live by their faith. It's a motivation to trust. So live by faith. Live by faith. This is something you can do as God does what only God can do. Put yourself in the watch post to listen for good news. Make a sign of yourself to share hope with others. And have the humility of a sentinel, self-awareness looking inside to bow before the king and be filled with his spirit. Here's good news for healing. Jesus promises, by my wounds you will be healed. And so as we gather here for healing and pray for one another, 
let's just take a moment of quiet as we come to our next hymn. Just a moment of quiet um, and ask this question. Lord, what is wounded in me today? Would you join me in that?